Good morning, y'all. It is Tuesday, 7.52 in the morning, and I'm getting ready to head to the airport, fly to Sebring for the first time, I think 2019, and try and cover the heck out of the 12 hours there. IMSA's second biggest event, would argue, biggest event, but can't wait to get rolling there. So, We'll be leaving here for the airport in about 90 minutes, but before that, wanted to get in an episode of the Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A. Why don't we say a big thank you to y'all and the questions you send in. It was actually a part two of last week's episode, our pal Jerry Sudduth putting everything together for us here. Also say a big thank you to Cooper Tires, fine folks there who power the USF championships all put on by Anderson promotions and also the makers of fantastic road car tires and truck tires also say just an immense. We love you. You're amazing to the justice brothers, makers of automotive chemicals and lubricants. And then Toronto motorsports.com motor racing memorabilia stickers, t-shirts, hats, books, models, you name it. North of the border, great folks, torontomotorsports.com. Please pay them a visit. So before we jump in to your cues, we'll try and provide some A's. And just send a little reminder here to folks, you want to join a uh, racing family, a growing racing family, of which there are hundreds of members, I think about 75 or so who are really active. It's the Prue Day. It's the listener group that's formed around the podcast here, but just become a great group of friends who a lot of positivity and fun to one another. If you want to join that group and have an instant new racing family, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, prudayrocks at gmail.com, and they will invite you in to that, uh, that little family barbecue that they do on a daily basis. All right, let's get rolling here. Won't even, uh, won't even bother with a little, well, I'll, you get a pew, 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 pew. And, uh, where do we go first? Our pal, Mama G-Force, AKA Cassie Johnston. Great to see you and the family at St. Petersburg. Let me get a little sip of coffee here. Ah, oh, there we go. Cassie says, great to see you, uh, at St. Pete. Says, we got a chance to stand. Uh, during the driver intros, doing a little bit of standing there, IndyCar fan access, and wow, some of the drivers looked really nervous. Was that just first day of school type jitters, or do some drivers get anxious every time they strap in? Interesting here, Cassie. There's no single answer. For some who are pretty loose in general, who we tend to play with and have a good time with, not uncommon for them to maintain that personality in everything that they do get some though who little pensive not always the clearest in mission clearest in intent and they can yeah absolutely have butterflies also not every driver is a super extrovert who wants to jump in front of people and wave and say hi and shake all kinds of hands they do it because they have to but not everybody's really super happy and geared up for that. So probably seeing a couple of those things. 
have an extraordinary number of folks this season as well, Cassie. And I don't know if any of them stood out to you on the anxious or nervous side, but we do have a solid number of drivers who are kind of on the clock career-wise, whether it's at risk of their IndyCar career dialing down and going away at the end of the year if they don't perform or have the results that the team's looking for. Uh, others who could just be out of work at their current team and maybe having to head somewhere else. There's a, a surprising number of IndyCar drivers, specifically in 2023, that I've written about, we've discussed, where you go, oh boy, Jack Harvey, I really hope things go well. Elio Castroneves, we love you, but wow, we're really going to need some big things here, and this driver, and that driver. So wonder if some of those things align at all. Also mentioning our pal Jack Harvey, not cleared to test yesterday at Barber Motorsports Park. Scott McLaughlin, fastest of the 16 drivers there. Jack's Ray Hall, Adam, and Lanigan team drafting in Yuri Vips to test for the second time for them. Yuri, I believe, yes, this should have been his first visit, I believe, to Barber Motorsports Park. I think he ended up 14th of the 16 drivers. So uh, Jack, who had a bit of an arm, wrist, hand, something injury, left St. Pete with uh, things kind of bandaged up guessing that's the area that was not cleared but uh don't take that for being uh, 100% accurate but just know that he did at least have uh one wing that was a little dinged up coming out of that big crash certainly not his fault not of his making at turn 4 at St. Pete Let's go to Phil Duncan asking is Michael Andretti the unluckiest guy in motor racing <sighs> If he's not Phil, I'd like to meet the person who is. And, yeah, if we look at how, in his last year or two driving for the team, driving for Michael Andretti, Ryan hunter Ray was seemingly the most unlucky person uh, there. I do wonder if that was Michael rubbing off on him. Uh, I don't think RHR is a natural adversity magnet. So, yeah, uh, there's certainly something there. Connor Daly also would say this is not a torch he wants to, to take from Michael, but I'd say that Connor certainly stands out as someone who unfortunately knows misery more than he should at such a young age. Let's see. Why don't we go to a bit of a IndyCar celebrity question here from our man John Oriovitz, Oreo. He said, what's more enjoyable, a race like St. Pete or a race with the winner being the best? Paraphrasing here. Uh, he's a, is asking, what is more enjoyable to cover and analyze and write? Free for all at St. Pete, which is a big old mess, or a general display of excellence, where it's simply about the best driver and team and strategy? Great question, John, obviously. Uh, having covered many of both scenarios in your career, I can tell you that I expect to have one or two dumpster fires per year in IndyCar. Maybe one in IMSA, but at least two in IndyCar. So I go into the season expecting at some point in time, it's going to be a mess to try and cover, try and remember and analyze and all of that. Admittedly, and this is just my own 
stupidity, I didn't come into St. Pete thinking St. Pete was going to be one of those right off the bat. So that was a failure of imagination on my part. All depends for me, though, on whether that dumpster fire analysis and contextualization has something significantly positive or containing some form of forward motion and momentum to uplift it at all. If it's just garbage, last year's Nashville comes to mind. Just pure garbage. Not saying there weren't some instances where drivers did some special things, drove at high levels, teams, high achievement, could be race strategy, pit stops, otherwise. But as a whole, I just think of it as a relatively joyless race from start to finish. Say St. Pete here falls into that category. Fairly strong capacity, not as bad as Nashville. The fact, though, that talking about St. Pete and even mentioning Nashville, probably a bad sign in and of itself. So I do love a good deep dive and having to analyze what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and all those things. But I do prefer that analysis to lean more on the side of excellence and how high achievement was attained compared to, okay, so this idiot hit that idiot, and then this fell off their car, and the thing that fell off hit the other person in their car, and then they hit the wall, and then this happened, and then that team forgot to have their driver pit, so they went from first to last. And (sighs) When a race like St. Pete feels like a bad Benny Hill sketch, and that's a really old reference, so I apologize for those who have no idea about the Benny Hill show. Um, I just look forward to it being over, John, so we can get on to the stuff that at least brought me into racing, and that is the mesmerizing spectacle of the cars and the speed and the colors and the athletic achievement the high, high talent on display. Uh, St. Pete, Nashville, palate cleansers maybe. Just weird to have a palate cleanser at the beginning of the season. Uh, why don't we go to Jonas Magnuson? How you doing, Jonas? Says, Marcus Erickson beat his Ganassi teammates in qualifying, then won the race. He's already won the biggest race of all. Still, it seems like he has to make excuses for his wins. What does he have to deliver to stop being underrated by media and experts is that another any 500 win or maybe even a championship great question Jonas and I would say I don't think a championship is going to do anything to give Marcus validation in places where it's lacking what I think would do wonders for him is if he can reel off another two wins maybe three i think that's where perception changes on the championship side no disrespect to our pal will power won that championship with a single victory immense consistency nobody that i know of though is talking about will's second championship in a 
highly reverential way. Oh my goodness, did you see what power did? No. Juan A. Race had the best average across the season. That's a wonderful way to win a championship in terms of efficiency. But there was really no wonderment. There was no, oh my goodness, aspect to it. Think back to his first championship. That guy, Juan, constantly terrorized folks. There's a lot of heat, a lot of, a lot of esteem built into how he won that championship. So if Marcus were to win the title on the back of three wins, four wins, I think that indeed place him in a different light for those who don't regard him as among the elite. Even if that championship doesn't happen, if he can become a consistent winner, I know he's won you know, about two races a year, right? For a little, a couple of years now. It's good. Again, nothing critical to say about that. I do think that if folks get more accustomed to, oh, we've got to account for this guy everywhere we go. It's already won on the biggest oval we have. So that part's amazing. Proven he can win on ovals. Great to see him add to that, though. Pick whatever oval race that's coming up outside of Indianapolis, right? I mean, going back to back would never never hurt, never be a bad thing. But just thinking about, can he go get a Texas? Can he get an Iowa or Gateway or wherever? I think that would lend more to folks' belief that he has something we need to constantly mention among the powers and New Gardens and Dixons and, and so on's awards. I'd also say his demeanor, his personality contributes to things a little bit as well. Just granted, he's a highly competitive guy and has a lot of fire in his belly. Just a nice guy, though. On the surface, you're not going to see that. I do believe that has an aspect as well, Jonas, that we can't, we can't ignore. I think of some of the other drivers that I mentioned, a wild-eyed willpower, a somewhat constantly pissed or mildly aggravated Joseph Newgarden. Dixon, just a mercenary in how he goes about what he does. Pata Award, who just wants to destroy everything in front of him, similar with Colton Herta, although again, Herta's a nice kid, but there are some who've shown us through their on-track performances and some who've shown us in their off-track demeanor that there's a real fighter within them. That person that, I'm not saying truly scares us, but you go, ooh, you see a boxer coming into the ring or MMA fighter. You look at that person and go, oh, <laughs> nope, I'm not getting within 20 feet of them. They look like they would snap me in half. I'm not saying any of our IndyCar drivers truly give off that vibe, but there are some, some of the elite who have in their whatever ways given us that little indicator of like, oh, geez, this is, this person's got something different and a little scary in terms of talent. I think Marcus 
would be well-placed to bark every now and then. Talk a little, not smack, but just grit his teeth a little. Let us know that he's not just a really smiley, nice guy. I don't know if his rivals need to see that and hear that loudly, but I do think that would also help a little bit as well. Uh, Why don't we go to Ed Joris? Say, am I the only one who's beginning to wonder if Colton Herta will ever win anything important? Says the way he ran right behind Groshan, the opening stint at St. Pete was idiocy. It's going to burn the alternate tires out. I can't believe anyone at Andretti told him to do that. Or did they? The smart thing would be to sit two to three seconds back and watch the race unfold. Or am I wrong? Uh, Keep in mind, Colton and new teammate Kyle Kirkwood uh, beat up their alternate tires in that opening stint pretty heavily. Romain, obviously he was leading, obviously not dealing with aero wash, which would at least add some uh, wear and premature death to his front tires. But he was also in a car that was handling just above and beyond anyone else in the field. He was driving beautifully, making crazy speed without having to really attack the corners and overconsume his tires. So stylistically, Roman nailed things, but I'd also say his car was better than his teammates. In hindsight, would I love to have seen Colton and Kyle be a little bit more conservative on that opening stint, as you mentioned? Yes. What I don't know, and it's just because I haven't spoken to them about it, is are they the authors of their own destiny here? Did they overdrive and then wear out their tires? Or did we have Colton's car and Kyle's car, not exactly what they needed in terms of setup, and off just enough? to contribute somewhat or significantly to their tires reaching a premature end uh, in terms of competitiveness. I don't have an answer to that. So if it's simply a driving strategy error of pushing too hard too soon and for too long, without a doubt, that would be on Colton and Kyle. Can't really say, though, how much their cars may have contributed to that. As for will Colton ever win anything important, yeah, I think we're going to see him get some wins here pretty quickly. What I'd love to see more than anything for Colton, Ed, is an oval win. He's shown us that on road and street courses, street courses in particular, the guy is can be on an entirely different level. I'd love to see him put everything together to get an oval win because I think that would signal... There's really not much left in his growth. St. Pete notwithstanding, this, with all the speed Andretti appears to have found, this is something where if he's not in the mix this year and the Andretti team is not in the championship mix this, this year, not only will I be shocked, but I will be asking myself, what do y'all need to get there and be there? go to Raymond Wong. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit here and see uh, 
Yeah, we've got a decent amount of questions to go. So why don't I, uh, why don't I try and mash the throttle a little bit? Uh, how much time do I have left before I need to go finish packing? Probably got about 20, 25 minutes. So I think we're doing okay. Uh, let me scroll back up because I'm an idiot and went too far. Raymond, yet you ask, does Santino Frucci have a target on his back, especially the commentary team at NBC? Uh, they did a replay of the first lap crash and mentioned his name as the cause uh, when it was a bottleneck. Uh, and it was a racing incident where anyone can run into each other. Yeah, I mean, that corner is always a bottleneck, Raymond. Um, cars don't just run into one another. People, steering, braking, throttling, uh, inging, people controlling those cars make them go left, right, forwards, hopefully not backwards, but... So it looked to me like Santino was involved for sure. Is he the one who tipped Elio into that spin, which then triggered everything else? I think, I apologize, my brain's a little bit fuzzy on remembering the exact sequence of who did what, but your, your bigger question here of does the commentary team have a target on his back, place one on him, dislike the guy. I don't think so. Um, nothing stood out to me while listening to that that made me think, oh, they're out to get the guy. But maybe you heard something I didn't, or maybe I missed something that I shouldn't have. Uh, let's see. Great question here. Uh, Stephen C. Dallas asks, is racing different in the U.S.? Growing up in Australia with supercars, the car in the inside line needed to be at the B pillar to be deemed a fair move. Talking about the Scott McLaughlin versus Romain Groschon wheel-to-wheel incident. Uh, says, everyone said Scott was responsible. Are there hard rules to adjudicate this? Well, my friend Stephen, yes. Racing is different in the U.S. Uh, racing is usually different in every country in terms of rules, so I wouldn't expect a supercar's rules a rule to be something that is applied here since we don't have B pillars in open wheel, at least or a pillars or C pillars. Um, there's, there's no, Oh, well, if you're at this point alongside the car, then that automatically means you are, uh, taking full blame or blameless in the case of an incident. Things tend to be judged on a case by case basis. Uh, the real basic thing here was Romain didn't leave crazy room because there wasn't crazy room to be left by going side by side through turn four. But there's just the practical side of this of what we saw. Romain turned, car maintained a fairly steady arc. Scott tried to do the same thing. Think everyone saw the back of his car slide then hit Romain, then the two crash. So whether Scott was alongside, a little bit in front, whatever it was, it was his vehicle that did not maintain grip, hit the other vehicle, two cars crashed. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty cut and dry, brother. Uh, let's see. Uh, at Agility asks, what happened to Pato's engine? What triggered it to happen? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, would recommend 
either listening to last week's episode um, where that was explained or going to racer.com and pulling up last week's racer mailbag posted on every posted every Wednesday where the opening question there answers exactly what you are inquiring about. So there's no need for me to run through that again here. Uh, Justin Vroom says, let's chat force Indy. Thank you for this. This reminds me I need to reach out to uh, force Indy team principal, Rod Reed, making a note who I spoke with uh, briefly on pit lane prior to Sunday's race and forgot that he and I are supposed to catch up. Uh, you go on to say miles row wins and has a points lead in his first weekend in USF pro 2000 and showed he's going to be a front runner with his preseason testing times as well. You also say Ernie Francis jr. While six in the Indian XT race was last of the cars that did not have trouble say that's not promising for getting onto IndyCar and IndyCar team owners radar. What's your prediction on how force Indy looks next year? Is it a two-car air quote lights team, NXT team? Would Miles push Ernie Francis out? Would Ernie Francis have the chops to be an IndyCar next year? Thing about Ernie is he went into this open wheel world for the first time two years ago. The uh, Pirella PMH, Pirella Motorsports Holding Championships formerly the SCCA pro racing kind of F3, F4, uh, formula regional Americas stuff and did well, not though in a super deep or super packed field. So it was more just dipping his proverbial toes. What I really had hoped would happen is Penske entertainment would have said, Hey, Ernie, you're amazing in touring car gt machinery won all kinds of championships tons of experience at your relatively young age but wow we are starting from scratch in open wheel and yes talent like yours can transfer what they chose to do though by placing him directly in indy lights is like saying hey high school star quarterback we're going to give you a full ride scholarship and you're going to go to a big and amazing university, but you're not coming in as a freshman <laughs> on the uh, university of Miami football team. You're going straight to senior year quarterback. You're going straight there. Having played zero college football games you're great in high school amazing there but truly we're just fast forwarding you right to your senior year you're leading this massive college football team it sounds great it's a great honor to receive but it's also something where you go um i really need to be a freshman <laughs> and i really need to be second string third string and kind of work my way up holy what so there was no usf 2000 as miles who had pretty decent foundation of junior open wheel training right not a lot of racing but at least enough to where you go okay plugging him back into usf 2000 that's 
the right place for him and then having him return and then nearly win the championship there, uh, right. Led it for ever and ended up just missing it, but nonetheless showed that he was ready to graduate. And so Penske entertainment through its force Indy program moved him from USF 2000 to us pro USF pro 2000 and pure validation to open the season, right? Wins one of the races, leads the championship, leading the championship, just showing you that for a kid like Miles, who's only ever known open wheel racing, took a bit of a slower, let's get you up to speed approach. And that approach been absolutely validated. They've been rewarded. Miles has been rewarded. And look at what this kid's capable of and the potential he's showing ernie on the other hand uh, I, I appreciate penske entertainment's desire to try and manufacture a indycar caliber african-american driver there just doesn't feel like there's a lot of respecting the same education and growth need that's been applied to miles there's been this weird high ernie you have zero percent experience in this type of racing compared to our other driver miles so rather than you being the person we take baby steps with and maybe pushing miles to grow and step up at a faster rate we're doing the exact opposite. And despite having a vast lack of open wheel experience, we're trying to get you to IndyCar as quick as we can. And to Ernie's credit, he is super talented, learning super fast, but you can't fill the guy with the three to five years of junior open wheel racing that he lacks compared to all of the drivers he's going up against. And so that's the thing we keep seeing as a bit of a limitation. So Ernie will, pro Ernie will probably need a third year of Indy lights, hoping that they are good with that and want him to do a third year. He, they've obviously aligned with HMD Motorsports, sorry, looking at uh, Indy Lights or uh, Indy NXT here. Toby Sowery returns to HMD Motorsports, Indy NXT program. I love that, Toby Sowery. That kid's so good. I'm glad uh, he's coming back. Um, but yeah, we have a bit of an issue here where you can't make Ernie better than he is on a unrealistic timeline. And so time is what he needs. How much time will they give him? I don't know. What I do know is, depending on the budget Penske Entertainment's willing to commit, we'll have your answer. So I don't mean for that to be a non-answer to very specific questions you've asked about do they expand it two cars for any lights? Would Miles push Ernie out, etc.? It really comes down to what is Penske Entertainment willing to continue to spend and if it's supporting the HMD run Indian XT effort 
with Ernie for another year or however many years. Awesome. He needs it. Gonna need it. I look forward to 2024 with Ernie. I know last year I said I look forward to 2023 with Ernie. Seemingly the grid's doubled in size and there's a lot of really strong kids there with far more talent. And so not going to be as big of a leap this year as I'd hoped for for Ernie just because, wow, there's a lot of folks to get through. Miles is showing. Again, who knows if it's a one-year thing and USF Pro 2000 or two, but Miles is definitely showing that regardless of whether he's black or white or anything else, male, female, non-binary, Miles Rowe. Very fast race car driver, winning race car driver, a kid who has crazy amounts of talent, and he's not the only one in USF Pro 2000, but on this specific topic. Miles is showing us those same kinds of things we've seen with others who've come up this ladder and gotten to IndyCar. If his story can continue and continue receiving support, whether it's from Penske Entertainment or who knows, another team that says, hey, I mean, I'd love to hear Michael Andretti say, end of this season, Miles Rowe, I want to put you in an Indy Lights car. And we've got sponsors for it. Or HMD, independent of Penske Entertainment and Force Indy, right? Wouldn't that be the ultimate thing? Hi, young person who's demonstrated a bunch of crazy great stuff. We want to hire you to drive for us the junior open wheel ladder because we think you're a future IndyCar talent. We want to get in on that game and let's go racing. That would be the greatest achievement for Penske Entertainment, its race for quality and change program, and force Indy to have its drivers hired by others. So, I'd hope if Miles were to go up to Indy NXT next year, it would not come at Ernie's expense, Justin. But this is truly a uh, a dollars and cents thing. And if it were to be with a Force Indy program, is that something that would have a backing behind it? Um, but also, would Miles be somebody who attracts the interest of another team to possibly take him? Can say this unless things change considerably for Ernie this season. If Penske Entertainment were to say, Ernie, you're going to have to step out on your own and see what you can find, he'll be back driving Trans Am cars or in IMSA in 2024 just because he has not been able to deliver consistent performances in Indy Lights slash Indy NXT that I would think any rival team would say we want to hire you because we think you've shown something truly remarkable uh left front changer says turn fort st pete would seemingly benefit from using tech pro barriers to provide a little more room on the outside of the turn rather than tire bundles has that been looked at um i have no idea uh but yeah there are a couple of places where i've thought hey could we use something different or could we use something to soften instead of just slamming into uh, concrete? What could we place in front of that concrete? Uh, and also, yeah, are there th- 
some places where we could make a little bit more room. I say this just speaking honestly. <laughs> uh, the promoters of the event, Green Savory Race Promotions, of all the promoters of IndyCar events, they are known to be the most financially conservative. Uh, talking about things, you mentioned that tech pros are, are pricey and whatnot, and you say so are wings and suspension components. No argument there. Uh, Green Savory Race Promotions just not known for uh, spending any extra dollars if they don't have to. All right, let me wind down just a little bit here, find a couple of final questions. Uh, Paul Haluska. Hey, Paul, not sure if I recall you sending in a question before. So if this is your first time, thank you. See, the car is getting me airborne, got me thinking, is this a product of the suspension being so durable? Car hits, um, a parked car launches instead of the suspension just collapsing when they run into each other. See, my first thought was of Michael Andretti driving to the back of Scott Goodyear at Phoenix in 94. I was there, saw it. I think I was working for the General Racing Atlantic team. So a reference from an event I remember from a long time ago. You say neither car went airborne, the suspension collapsed. Uh, and you say, are the front suspensions too strong? You know, if we're talking about Benjamin Peterson hitting Devlin DeFrancesco, uh, as I recall watching it, it was more of the nose and the front part of the tub uh, hitting the side of Devlin's car and lifting it up, lifting it up and spinning him that way. And if you look at the damage to Benjamin's destroyed chassis, you could see where it, it really carved heavily into the top of the carbon fiber tub where the nose bolts onto the vehicle. So at least as I saw it, this wasn't a suspension to suspension hit Paul. It was kind of like the shoveling action of, uh, Benjamin coming in, getting beneath Devlin, and then, yeah, that causing him to take off there. Oh, uh, let's see. Nathan Wolfel, you asked, did Aeroscreen save some lives at St. Pete? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Benjamin's car, for sure, is one where without an Aeroscreen, without that halo structure behind the Aeroscreen, uh, yes, we are, we are in a probably... In a state of mourning right now. Uh, ta -ta. All right. Uh, Dan Rice uh, asking about uh, since the introduction of the aeroscreen, what's the difference in temperature in the cockpit? Uh, well, it's one of those how long is a piece of string questions, Dan? Uh, at what race? At on what day? Uh, hard to answer that because again, uh, if it is very very hot outside what kind of temperature differential would there be if it's relatively cool i mean again i would imagine there's a pretty similar temperature difference between inside the car and outside the car but it's not something that the drivers really notice or mention too much if it's cooler whereas if it's either hot from an ambient standpoint or just somewhat hot but super humid that's where you tend to get folks mentioning things so um hard to say exactly there's also options 
for cooling in the cockpit. There are some things that IndyCar will say are mandatory based on the ambient number, like that overhead uh, air scoop. But yeah, there are some drivers who want all the cooling they can get, nostrils, uh, opening up nostrils uh, in the nose and flowing air to their legs and into the cockpit. That way there's the vent at the base of the aero screen. So hard to say exactly just because there are some options on how much cooling is introduced or not introduced. Uh, let's see. Jamie Rowe, say MP. Uh, let's see. Excited about this new season. Can't wait for the 100 Days to Indy uh, docu-series and wondering how visible they were in St. Pete. Certainly lots of action shots for them at that race. Uh, yes, no doubt. Uh, let's see. Was told yesterday by Beth Peretta, who was at the South by Southwest uh, event in good old Austin, Texas, that IndyCar and IMS's communications team were there, all centered on the uh, 100 Days to Indy thing. So that's being presented to folks there as a thing. So that's a that was great, great, great to hear. So IndyCar has done something interesting. They have two colors of vests <clears throat> for video slash photography. Actually, it might be three, but the two primary colors, there's a light blue uh, vest, a tabard, as it's called by the French, and then there's a red one. The red is, if we're talking pit lane, the red is cold side of the pits. You can shoot film whatever standing behind you might even creep into a team's pits a little bit uh if they're not uh gonna yell at you and i'm talking again the cold side where the crew hangs out during the race um and then the blue means you can be on pit lane during practice sessions only uh i happen to have one of those there's a limited number of those there's a new color specifically for the 100 days crew and it's an orange and seemingly there's a lot of orange vests. So without a doubt, vice media and the CW channel and all that, it sure looks like they're putting a lot of people, a lot of resources into this 100 days filming and, and whatnot. Um, it's been interesting to see some of the folks and, and they were at spring training as well, all over the place. Uh, it's unique now for the first time ever to see the better known and higher profile drivers walking, talk, just standing still and talking and doing very basic things they've always done. But now with a camera person, one PA, if not two, helping to steer and guide that camera person as they walk backwards or do whatever it is. Maybe a, a producer, main producer attached to uh, that little crew. And then the sound person holding a boom mic overhead uh, to capture whatever a new garden or a herda or a pato or whatever are saying. It's just it's a new thing of seeing these orange vested folks, usually a roaming pack of three to five of them surrounding drivers who are just walking from, you know, 
the garage to pit lane, uh, going from whatever point A to point B, uh, standing, talking to their race engineer, uh, crew member, who knows, uh, on pit lane under the tent. Um, it's just, yeah. So great to see, because that means for the first time in a really long time, we have folks coming to the track who give a fart about what we do and want to capture it and present it to the world and hopefully make more IndyCar fans, Jamie. Um, other little note, just sharing because it's <clears throat> interesting to watch as well. Keep in mind that the majority, if not pretty much all the folks who are on the production side and filming, recording sound, PAing, producing, and whatnot, these aren't sports racing motor auto action veterans. And so watch one senior IndyCar official pit lane official and, and whatnot official just go over and, and grab one camera person who decided to kneel down on pit lane squat down kneel down to a point to where they were stationary from from a standpoint of they weren't in a position to pop up right away and get out of the way if a car came at them uh, or something went wrong place their camera big heavy camera on the ground uh, as well and these are just absolute no-nos you're told not to do those things in the photo and video meetings I'm not saying this person specifically did that to just ignore and contravene what they were told. It just looked like, hey, I'm here as a cinematographer or whatever else, and my only focus is to get the best footage possible. It had all the feelings of that. Hey, I'm here, and I just want to get the best. Not, aha, screw you and your rules. Nonetheless, an IndyCar official went over and basically grabbed the person and said, stand up and walk back and get off of pit lane. Because if you're doing that, then I don't trust you to know what to do in other situations. So come back. On the back of that person who had a, a little rig that you strap onto yourself that has a... Uh, cord that comes down arches over the front of you and attaches to your camera and basically it's a, a bit of a gimbal uh or it is a gimbal setup on the back of that gimbal strap system uh, on the person's torso was this eight and a half by 11 sheet of of paper printed with all kinds of things on it taped onto this person's gimbal rig thing. And so the, that official and I were looking at each other like, what is that? Like, it was just really weird. Uh, whether you're walking around with this big contraption uh, strapped to yourself or not, it's just not common to see a large or standard piece of printer paper taped to someone's back, just loaded with text. And so the official out of our shared curiosity walked up and it wasn't kind of top to bottom it was printed or it was turned sideways so you had to kind of rotate your head and squint and try and figure out it was a a, a declaration 
it was a, a bill posted on this camera person's back by vice media and cw and whatever else saying uh if you are captured on film by whatever all rights are forfeited and you know we can do we can film and whatever whatever and again it was basically a uh on this person's back we're informing you that uh, if our camera captures you you release all rights and we can use the footage it's just again just a little strange but it's not strange bad just strange different these aren't things that we're really been accustomed to in indycar so yeah um yeah <laughs> the folks in the orange vests they're doing their best they're trying to do good stuff and i think for the rest of us who are accustomed to being there with our blue or red vest or whatever taking them photographs and shooting them little video things doing our best to accommodate folks who have clearly been told they have free reign and they are our our top dogs and uh just yeah give them some space so be curious jamie to see how things go when we get to indianapolis because uh, could be wrong but i, I feel like there's going to be a thousand orange vests um luckily maybe is that the word i don't know uh if we had a kyle larson this year or a fernando alonso or something like that from recent years where you go oh my goodness every single person with a vest is going to go over the wall or who can go over the wall is going to go over the wall surround the car surround the driver wherever the driver goes to the bathroom to get a bite what it like it's just going to be a rolling mob seen that with some again past high profile drivers coming in to uh, do one-offs or so at indy it'll be very interesting thankfully again i guess thankfully i don't know uh, we don't really have any drivers that qualify for that this year but nonetheless if we did i'd feel like you wouldn't be able to see the car of the driver because it'd just be a swarm of orange but look if this all gives us something that elevates indycar and makes it not just more popular but makes new fans hopefully younger fans more sustaining fans um no one's going to remember some of the awkward stuff from the orange vests or uh, any of that we're just going to celebrate their good work uh two quick things to go michael catrone and i hope i got your last name right and if not tell me and uh, i'll probably mess it up still the next time uh and also feels like this might be your first submission says danny mario and rick 1988 laguna seca those are the days referring to one of the two new cartoons i had our pal roger war cook up for me and there'll be more coming this year i chose a theme of classic corners and then picking a year of indycar stuff that amuses me or that i have fond memories of and so yes having been there for the 1988 cart indycar series race at laguna won by danny sullivan if i remember correctly in that beautiful Penske Miller brewing gold vehicle. And then Mario and then Rick Mears. Yeah. So uh, glad that you enjoyed that one. Michael got some stickers coming here. Uh, so I'll put those up uh, for any who might want to take some home. 
And yeah, the other one we've done so far is Long Beach 1999 at the Hairpin. So some fun stuff there. And I think the one coming after that, I don't know if we've picked the year, but uh, turn one at Road America. So yeah, maybe we'll do one more after that, but uh, that's what we got going on. Finally here, Nate Falkowitz, brother of Tim Falkowitz, who was the very first kind person to help me put together questions for this show for the first year or so uh, when I finally had to raise my hand and say, I need help, y'all. Uh, Tim's brother, Nate, got to meet Nate at St. Pete and said, just want to say it was great to meet you in person. My dad and I enjoyed getting to chat with you for a couple minutes. Uh, thanks for making time for us fans and hope all is well on the home front. Um, I mean, I don't know, Nate, it's sweet of you to send this. We don't have to like, uh, you are why I go to the motor races. Uh, everybody who's listening or watches the videos or whatever, whatever else it is that gets generated from wherever I go, like you y'all are the reason that I go do this. Um, it's not for myself, <laughs> right? I don't need to write a story. I, I, I can see it and tell it in my own head or, uh, whatever. So no, nah, it was sweet of you to send this man, but like, um, I tell you thing that I, never knew I was going to enjoy as much as I do is just walking around the paddock, being in the paddock, being out wherever, uh, with fellow fans of IndyCar or IMSA or motor racing in general, and just hanging out and talking, um, love the other aspects of my job, team owners and drivers and engineers and mechanics and, you know, all those things. And but that's the thing I've done since I was like 16 years old. Um, that's awesome and great, but that's also very familiar to me. So getting to hang with you and your dad for a couple minutes when we're over by uh, uh, the Aaron McLaren and Meyer Shank wing of the garage, that was so cool. There's just so many other folks that I got a chance to meet for the first time or meet again. Um, yeah, that's honestly, just love that part. Vincent Anderson's wife, child the anderson family is always super sweet whenever uh i head to st petersburg always trying to take care of me and you need anything to eat and just like just amazing folks so anyways no this is a little bit of a of a homer statement here but um just appreciate you and appreciate everybody because y'all are genuinely why uh idiots like me happen to do what we do um I'm going to take one more and there's a decent amount of questions we didn't get to. Uh, so if there are any that aren't necessarily tied to St. Pete and are a little bit more evergreen, go ahead and send some of those back in. Um, we'll close here with Mike Wyckoff and Mike, I don't know if I remember reading question, previous questions from you as well. So if this is your first submission, thank you. And, uh, have noticed for sure. We are having more folks send in stuff for the first time. So, that either means more new listeners or just folks who've decided to uh, jump in, who've listened for a while and fire in a question. So let's close here. Mike indeed says, long time listener says, if Alex Pillow ends up winning the championship in 2023, what are the chances of Ganassi pushing him to stay with the team next season? Or will that not happen? Unfortunately, Mike, Chip Ganassi, other than offering Alex 
a redonkulous amount of money that could never be matched and for multiple years you know some crazy 10 million a year type deal for x amount of years um i can't think of any scenario where alex stays his heart is set on leaving has been uh his relationship with errol mclaren slash mclaren racing and zach brown is is strong and only getting stronger this is where he wants to go the f1 possibilities that mclaren can provide that as rocky tries to jump up or has jumped up and wants to walk across a laptop uh buddy please put your claws away and hop down thank you pal um there's just some stuff that zach and mclaren can offer alex that ganassi cannot be it a salary that's really impressive to the aforementioned f1 testing at least i think there's just a much bigger picture dreamt of for alex as rocky jumps up again i think at mclaren there's just a much bigger future that's been dreamt up and devised for alex than what ganassi could or would and i'm not saying ganassi couldn't incentivize things more have alex getting well being well paid hopefully as a cadillac uh, gtp driver and 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 whatnot but culturally chip ganassi racing is not a place where drivers are treated like rock stars they may achieve rock star status in our minds or even through just their achievements multiple championships indy 500 wins you name it scott dixon's maybe a little bit of an outlier right he's also been there for 20 plus years but it's just not a place that treats its drivers for the most part as big big you're the center of our universe we want to give you everything your happiness is all that matters it's a little bit more blue collar there Aaron mclaren very different culture you are absolutely a rock star you are treated like one uh given all the things that signify you are a rock star to us and having felt like he was underpaid and undervalued you could see how everything Aaron mclaren is preparing to give alex after he leaves ganassi at the end of the season where all of those things will be met and it's not as if Alex is an unhappy guy right now, but you're going to see an even bigger smile once he transitions over to that team. All right, y'all. Thank you again for everything you sent in. Send in more if you got it. I will be at Sebring through about 5 p.m. Sunday. Fly home Sunday night probably going to try and take the first day or two of next week off uh this is not a complaint but i really haven't had a true day or two off in i don't know uh a while and having been really sick for the pretty much the entire month of february an actual just break (laughs) i'm gonna need that just a little bit before we uh get to good old texas but got any additional questions Put out a call here. Don't know if I'm going to get to those this week or early next, but appreciate everything you've sent in. I appreciate your 
ongoing support. If you want to join the Pruday, send that email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. Thank you once again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com. And I'll speak to y'all here very soon.